L'envoi of Mrs. Warren's Daughter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mrs. Warren's Daughter by Sir Harry Johnston. L'envoi. I am reproached by such art critics as deign to notice my pictures with finishing my foregrounds overmuch, filling them with superabundant detail, making the primroses more important than the snow peaks and by my publishers with forgetting the price of paper and the cost of printing. My jury of matrons thinks I don't know where to leave off, and that I might very well close this book on the answer that Mrs. Warren's daughter gave to Sir Michael Rossiter's proposal of marriage in the Palm House at Brussels. The reader, they say, can very well fill in the rest of the story for himself or herself, it is hardly likely that vivie will cry off at the last moment or michael reconsider the plunge into a second marriage why therefore waste print and paper and our eyesight in describing the marriage ceremony the inevitable visit to honoria and what vivie did with the property she inherited from her mother no doubt they are all right yet i am distrustful of my reader's judgment and imagination i feel both want guiding and i doubt their knowledge of the world and goodness of heart being equal to mine except in rare cases so i throw out these indications to influence the sequels they may plan to this story i think that michael and vivie were married at the british legation in brussels between christmas and the new year of nineteen eighteen nineteen nineteen before that legation was erected into an embassy and that the marriage officer was kind, genial Mr. Hawk when he returned to Brussels from The Hague and proceeded to get the legation into working order. I am sure Mr. Hawk entered into the spirit of the thing and gave an informal breakfast afterwards in the Rue de Spa, to which Monsieur and Madame Walker, Monsieur and Madame Trouessart, and the director of the prison of Saint-Gilles and his wife were invited i think the head gardener of the jardin botanique who had charge of the tropical houses cribbed from the collection some of the most magnificent blooms and presented them to vivie on the morning of her marriage and that afterwards she laid the bouquet on her mother's newly finished tomb in the cemetery of saint jacques where the weather being singularly mild for the time of year the flowers lasted fresh and blooming for several days I am sure she and Michael then crossed the road and passed on to the building of the Tier National, entered it, and stood for a moment in the veranda from which Vivie had seen Bertie Adams executed, and passed on over the tussocky grass to the graves of Bertie Adams and Edith Cavell, where they did silent homage to the dead. I believe a few days afterwards they visited the Senate where the victims of von Bissing's terror had been tried browbeaten insulted mocked and the functionary who showed them over this superb national palace is certain to have included in his exposition the once splendid carpets which the german officers prior to their evacuation of the senate all but the legislative chamber of which was used as a barracks for rough soldiery had sprayed and barred streaked and splodged with printing ink he would also have pointed out the three-hundred-year-old tapestries they had ripped from the walls and the historical portraits they had slashed, and would again have emphasized the fact that in all these senseless devastations the officers were far worse than the men. 
Also I am certain that Michael and Vivie made a pilgrimage to the prison of Saint-Gilles, and stood silently in the cell where Bertie Adams and Vivie had spent those terrible days of suspense and despair between April 6th and April 8th, 1917, and that when they entered that other compartment of the prison where Edith Cavell had passed her last days before her execution, they listened with sympathetic reverence to the recital by the directeur of verses from L'Hymne d'Edith Cavell, as it is now called, no other than the sad old poem of human sorrow abide with me and that they appreciated to the full the warmth of belgian feeling which has turned the cell of edith cavell into a chapelle ardente in perpetuity i think they returned to england in january nineteen nineteen so that michael might get back quickly to his work of mending the maimed now transferred to english hospitals and so that vivie always a practical woman, should prove her mother's will, secure her heritage, and have it in hand as a fund from which to promote all the happiness she could. I doubt whether she will give much of it to causes rather than cases, and to politics in preference to persons. I think she was awfully disgusted when she was back in the England of today, not to find Mrs. Fawcett Prime Ministress and First Lady of the Treasury, Annie Kenny at the Board of Trade, and Christabel Pankhurst running the Ministry of Health. It was disheartening after the long struggle for the woman's vote and the equality of the sexes in opportunity to find the same old men-muddlers in charge of all public affairs and departments of state, and the only woman on the benches of the House of Commons a millionaire peeress never before identified with the struggle for the woman's cause however i think her disenchantment did not diminish the rapture at finding herself once more in the intimacy of honoria armstrong sir petworth when he ran over on leave from the army of occupation thought her enormously improved though he had the tact not to say so he frankly made the amende honorable for his suspicions and churlishness of the past and himself i think insisted on his frank and friendly children calling her aunt vivie i am equally sure that vivie was not long in london before she appeared at dear old praddy's studio beautifully gowned and looking years younger than forty-three and i shouldn't wonder but that her presence once more in his circle will give his frame a fillip so that he may cheat death over a few more annual outbreaks of influenza i am convinced that he has left all his money after providing a handsome annuity for the parlour-maid, to Vivie, knowing that in her hands far more, and far more quickly than in those that direct princely and public charities, will his funds reach the students and the poverty-stricken artists whom he wants to benefit. I think that after spending the first five months of 1919 in London, getting number one Park Crescent tidy again and fully repaired, because Michael wished to pursue more thoroughly than ever his biological researches, Vivie and Michael went off to spend their real honeymoon in the occupied territory of the Rhineland, in that never-to-be-forgotten June, memorable for its splendid sunshine and the beauty of its flowers and foliage. I think they did this expressly under the guise of a visit to General Armstrong, so that Vivie and Minna von Stockelberg, now Minna Schultz, might foregather at Bonn. 
minna had married again an officer of no family but of means and of fine physique whom she had nursed in brussels his left arm had been shattered but the skill of the belgian surgeons and her devoted nursing had saved it from being amputated she had wished however to have him examined by some great exponent of curative surgery at bonn university and the conjunction of the celebrated sir michael rossiter who in his discussions of anatomy with the bonn professors forgot there had ever been a war between britain and germany was most opportune i think however that sir michael said this was all humbug on minna's part and that all she wanted her husband major schultz looking the picture of health was to meet once more her well-beloved vivie at any rate i am sure they met in the rhineland in a propitious month when you could be out of doors all day and all night and that minna said some time or other how happy she was in her second marriage and that however heartily she disliked militarism and condemned war soldiers made the nicest husbands i think before she and vivie parted to go their several ways they determined to work for the building up of an anglo-german reconciliation and for the advocacy in both countries of a man and woman government i think nevertheless that vivie being a sound business woman and possessing a strong sense of justice on the lines of an eye for an eye will claim at least five thousand pounds from the german government for the devastations and thefts at via beausejour and that having got it and having disposed of her mother's jewellery and plate for three thousand five hundred pounds she will present the via beausejour property and an endowment of eight thousand pounds to the town of brussels as an educational orphanage for the children of belgian soldiers who have died in the war where they may receive a practical education in agriculture and poultry farming i fancy she gave a thousand pounds to pastor walker's congo mission and transferred to madame truissart all her shares in and rights over the hotel edouard set i also picture to myself the rossiters having a motor tour of pure pleasure and delight of the eyes in south wales in september nineteen nineteen i imagine their going to pontystrad and surprising the vicar and vicaress and puzzling them with purposely diffuse stories of vivie's cousin the late david vavasour williams intended to convey the idea without telling unnecessary fibs that david died abroad during the war but that vivie in his memory and that of his dear old father intends to continue a strong personal interest in the village hall and its educational aims i also picture vivie going alone to mrs evanwee's rose-entwined cottage the old lady is now rather shaky and does not walk far from her little garden with its box-bower and garden-seat I can foreshadow Vivie dispelling some of the mystery about David Williams and being embraced by the old nanny with warm affection and the hearty assurances that she had guessed the secret from the very first, but had been so drawn to the false David Williams and so sure of his honest purposes that nothing would have induced her to undeceive the old vicar. I can even imagine the old lady, ere years hence, paralysis strikes her down, telling vivie so much gossip about the welsh vavasours that vivie becomes positively certain her mother came from that stock and that she really was first cousin to the boy she personated for the laudable purpose of showing how well a woman could practise at the bar 
I like to think also that by the present year of grace, 1920, the Rossiters will have become convinced that Number 1 Park Crescent, even with the zoo and the Royal Botanic Gardens close by, and the ornamental garden of Regent's Park in between, does not satisfy all their needs and ambitions, that they will have resolved even before this year began to supplement it by a home in the country for weekends, for summer visits, and finally for rest in their old age that for this purpose they will acquire some ideal grange or priory or ample farmstead near petworth and the armstrongs home over against the south downs and near the river rother that it shall be in no mere suburb of petworth but in a stately little village with its own character and history going back to roman times and a church with a saxon body and a norman chancel and that in the ideal churchyard of this enviable church with its ancient yews and eighteenth-century tombstones and old old benches in the sunshine for the grandfathers and loafers of the village to sit on and smoke of a sabbath morning a place shall be found for the bones of bertie adams reverently brought over from the grassy amphitheatre of the tier national to repose in this churchyard of west sussex which looks out over one of the finest cricket pitches in the country if then there is any lean between the mouldering fragments of our bodies and the inexplicable personality which has been generated in the living brain the former office-boy of fraser and warren will know that he is always present in the memory of vivian rossiter that she has placed the few physical fragments still representing him in such a setting as would have delighted his honest simple nature in his lifetime he would also know that his children are now hers and her husband's that his nance very rightly married the excellent butler jenkins with whom he had discussed many a cricket score and that love after all is stronger than death end of l'envoi end of mrs warren's daughter by sir harry johnston